But if you knew that Jesus was going to look you in the eye and commission you with the gospel, would you still go? That's where some Christians would say, well, you go instead of me. What are they really saying? Would you open your Bible to Matthew chapter number 28? Matthew chapter 28. This was our scripture reading just a few minutes ago. Everyone in the world knows about the war going on over in Israel. I believe 16 days now, 16 or 17 days, something like that. And it's taken front row center of the news. We sometimes forget that there's been a war going on in Ukraine when Russia attacked Ukraine. And that's now about a year and a half old. And it's not done yet. There's no end in sight. Did you know that uh, those aren't the only wars going on in the world? I looked it up. And they say there are 32 wars going on as of today around the world. So we tend not to hear much about these things. But there's wars. And maybe rumors of wars. And something about war, particularly these two, with Ukraine and with Israel, these two wars affect world economy. That is a fact of life. The economy has been semi-crippled anyhow because of the, the wars. It seems to me, maybe you might disagree, but it seems to me that the world as a whole is more wicked now than it's ever been. In my years, I can't remember uh, more wickedness worldwide than what we're seeing today. And we are on the brink of World War III. Uh, there just has to be a, a few more things happen. You know, the U.S. has brought in a couple of aircraft carriers into the Mediterranean off of the Israeli coast there to help prevent things from getting too far worldwide. Well, now China has sent in six of its aircraft carriers. And there's a lot of saber rattling going on. And there's a lot of talk of World War III in the news anyhow. But let's talk about Canada. Canada, in my opinion, now I'm Canadian. I was born in the capital city of Ottawa. I'm a Canadian. But it seems to me that Canada is more worse off now than ever. That, that's bad English. I don't know how else to say it, though. As a nation, I think we're more worse off morally, spiritually. I think God is judging our nation because of our, our sin. The wickedness within our borders, within our shores. I think God is judging Canada. You don't have to look very far to find evidence of that. Global News on July 26 spoke about the food prices. Now this is a few months ago. They said that prices for many grocery items have continued to increase month after month. And on balance, they're 20% higher than levels reported two years earlier. And it's gone up since July. The price of food. 
the Vancouver Sun in October 15, that's one, one week ago today, the Vancouver Sun spoke about gas prices. The writer of the article said, I can't tell you just how volatile the market is. It's in complete panic. It doesn't know how to price itself. Some days it looks at the fundamentals, but most days it looks at macro issues like the demand in China or the U.S. interest rates. We know gas prices are not getting better, they're getting worse. October 16th, CTV News spoke about the mortgage rates. They said as more and more homeowners face mortgage renewals at a surprising higher interest rates, some are facing the dreaded prospect of having to sell a home they can no longer afford. CBC News on September 13th talked about the rental rates. For those of you that pay rent, the average asking price for a new tenant has risen by 9.6% in the last year. Another article I read said that it's about $100 a month more in rent. Isn't it crazy? The cost to rent a, an apartment around here and in downtown Vancouver, it's insanity. In order to buy the average home in the lower mainland, the banks won't finance you unless you have $280,000 a year income. That gives you a little idea as to how crazy things are. Last month in September, Warren Buffett made a statement. Now, Warren Buffett, for those of you who are not aware, he's an old guy now, but he was, he's considered one of the world's greatest investors. He is one of the world's wealthiest men, multi-multi-billionaire, and he's an investor, and he knows the markets. And he made an astounding statement just one month ago. He said that in a year and a half, that'll put us into 2025, in a year and a half, $1.4 trillion worth of mortgage debt is going to come due. That's just in the USA. And many people will be wiped out financially because of the high, high rates of interest. Now, here in Canada, I like to think we're a little more insulated, but, folks, Canada tends to follow the states in many, many things. And here in Canada, we just might see a similar thing happen, and many people may lose their home because so many people are overfinanced because we've just come through several years of interest rates of 1%, 2%, 3%, and people have gone out and bought all kinds of things. In fact, here in Canada, according to the insolvency statistics, here in Canada, bankruptcies are 28% higher this year over last year. And indeed, people in Canada are beginning to worry. They're asking questions like, can I keep my job? You know, in China, I just saw this, people got back from an eight-day national holiday, Many of them found their businesses were closed, the doors were locked, codes were changed, they were out of work. Just overnight that happened. Don't think that can't happen here in Canada. People are asking, can I afford to pay my mortgage or pay my rent? Can I afford gasoline? You know, in Europe, 
the cost of gasoline per gallon is way up there, like, what is it, 8 or $10 a gallon or something like that. In the States, it's about five five fifty something like that, just across the border. So it uh, translates through to about, you know, $2, less to, under $2 a liter. But I think it's going to go higher. My opinion only. If you have money invested in stocks and bonds, well, what if the market crashes? It's crashed before numerous times. What's to keep it from crashing? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Fortunately, as born-again Christians, God has made us a wonderful financial promise, and it's found in Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That promise was given to the church at Philippi because they were involved with supporting missions. That is the context of that verse. You cannot take that promise out of the context. You cannot just live willy-nilly and claim that promise because you may be in for a big surprise. That promise of financial stability was given to the Christians at the Church of Philippi because they were healthily involved in missions. That is the context. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see that. We're going to show that to you. Folks, that's why we believe that right now, this time of year, it's the most important series of meetings that we're ever going to have all year long. In order to see God release his blessings upon us all through the year, we need to pay careful attention to what God has for us in this area of missions. As we get involved by faith and we support missionaries such as our sister Roman, as we get involved, each and every one of us, then God is obligated to open to us windows of heaven. And we've seen it year after 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 year. God's promises do not fail. Amen. We face very uncertain financial times these days. If you're not aware of it, start watching the news. It's very depressing. But it will show you the condition of things. We are in uncertain times. We do not know what will happen. And if there is a, a big blow up over the Israeli war there, and it's not just with Hamas there in the Gaza Strip, there's, there's all the Hezbollah up there in Lebanon, and Iran is out there, and so on. And folks, if it starts turning into a World War III, Canada is going to have to mobilize its troops, and we're going to be involved. We don't know what tomorrow holds, only the Lord knows. But we do know this, that by getting involved by faith and supporting gospel-preaching missionaries, it is one of God's primary means of blessing his people all through the year. And if disaster strikes, God guarantees our safety, Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need. Folks, it's like being guaranteed a seat in the lifeboat in case the ship goes down. It's something like that. I am continually amazed at what God does through missions. It is, it is a, a miracle. I wasn't always heavily involved with missions. Only maybe for the last 20 years of my Christian life, I'm 
almost 50 years saved that I've been a Christian. But I wish with all my heart I had learned these things 50 years ago. I wish with all my heart I could have started my Christian life knowing these things, these truths from the word of God. My life would have been richer, deeper. God would have blessed more. So God has promised us that he'll do his financial miracles if we face disaster as long as we do our part. By faith, get involved with missions. Take a healthy participation in supporting missions and it obligates God to his promise. Now the next three weeks begins the most important series of lessons and we need to get all of it we possibly can. And I'll be telling you more about this. We're going to go through it together. Some of you, this is brand new. Others of you, you've, you've been with us down the road a number of years and you understand these things. But as a church family, a church that's growing, we need to move together. We want to get all the benefit, all the full benefit that God has for us. So we want to make the teaching very clear. But we want to make it very real. And over the next couple of weeks, we want to do that. Let's have a word of prayer. And then we're going to get into the topic today on understanding missions or the concept of missions. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great promises found in your word. And by faith, we stand upon them, standing on the promises of Christ my Lord. Thank you for the Bible. We pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding today and help us to see the gold and the riches that you have in the scriptures for us and the promises and guarantees that you make to your children. If by faith, we will trust you. And so help us this day to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Hollywood has colored a lot of people's thinking. A lot of people, because they watch these Hollywood movies, they think that missionaries are middle-aged people hacking their way with machetes through the jungle, finding tribes of people and maybe bringing some food or bringing some health and healing. Now, I'm not going to deny the value of bringing in human aid and food and, and clothing and medicine to people. I'm not going to deny that. That's wonderful. But that's not missions. That is not missions. That's Hollywood missions. Sorry to say that many churches today have that similar Hollywood concept. That in their thinking... Missions means to raise money so that we can go and dig wells for people who are short of water. We can go help them plant fields of wheat. We can help them build outhouses. We can bring in boxes of clothing for them. And there are many churches, churches even here in the lower mainland, who have that mindset that this is missions. And their young people go off on these missionary journeys for 10 days or two weeks and they bring food, they bring clothing, they help dig wells, they help plant corn, they take pictures, they post them on social media, they come back, they make reports to their church. But that's not missions. Not Bible missions. There's no reports of anyone getting saved. There's no reports of any victories over sin. There's no reports of any new churches getting started. And that is what missions is all about. Folks, the world needs Jesus. That is the bottom line. The world needs Jesus more than it needs these other things. 
So I'm not discounting these other things, but I'm saying that there is a more important need, and that's the Lord Jesus. Because with the Lord Jesus, God will give them these other things. He really will. So this is what missions is all about. Now, there are two words I want to bring to your attention, and it's found here, if you will, in Matthew chapter 28. Please look at verse 19. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now that word teach would mean to teach them. Teach them about heaven. Teach them about hell. Teach them about God. Teach them about Satan. Teach them about the Savior Jesus. Teach them how they can have their sins forgiven. Teach them how they can have a home in heaven. So go into all the world and teach all nations... And then when they get saved, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But the work isn't finished. It goes on, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So we have the word commission. The word commission means to commit or to entrust something into someone else's care. That's the idea of a commission. We use this word commission in reference to the gospel. The Lord Jesus entrusted the Christians standing before him that very moment. In Matthew 28, the Christians, the men and women that were standing before him at that very moment, he entrusted them with the care of the gospel. He commissioned them. Do you see that? He commissioned them with the gospel. That's the teaching all nations. And then after that, the baptizing and then the discipleship in verse 20. And so we use the word commission in a singular sense because there is only one commission and that's it. You're looking at it right there. Jesus entrusted the disciples that formed the first church. He entrusted them with the gospel. And the church is still commissioned, if you will, even today. Grace Baptist Church is commissioned or entrusted with the gospel. We'll stand before the Lord one day. We have people here in our church that are saved, love the Lord, growing as Christians. They used to attend other churches, some of them for years, and they never heard the gospel. No one cared for their soul. I'm not saying we're perfect. We're very much imperfect in many ways as a church because we're people and we make mistakes. But one thing that we've tried to be very faithful to God over these 24 years of our existence as a church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've tried to give people every opportunity to know the Lord. Every Saturday, almost every Saturday, weather permitting, we have men and women Ordinary men and women who are involved in putting gospel literature into mailboxes every Saturday. We have men and women who are knocking on doors and introducing themselves and looking to see if there be any spiritual need. And if there is, they offer them a Bible study. Our city is pictured on that map over there. We affectionately call it our Jerusalem. You'll see why in a minute. But that's the city of Surrey. There are 650,000 approximately souls in our little Jerusalem. Boy, it's a big job. 
And the truth is, every year, every month, every day, people are coming and going. Population is always changing. But that's our Jerusalem. That's our commission is to reach our city. The second word I want to introduce you to is the word missions. So we have commission. It's singular. Now we have missions. This is a plural word. And this comes after the commissioning. The word mission literally means to send. It has a Latin root there to it. But literally it means to send. After someone is commissioned, then they are missioned or sent out, if you will. We use the word missions in a plural sense because there are many sendings at different times, different directions, different people. There's only one commission, and then you're looking at it there in Matthew 28. But there are many missions, many, many missions. Those who are sent out are referred to as missionaries. I'd like to tell you a humorous story that will help illustrate this idea of a missionary. Many years ago, there was a pastor who was given a stray kitten. And uh, he took it home and he fed it. And what he wanted to do was find a good home for it because he didn't want to keep it. And so the next morning, he opened the back door. And as he did, the kitten raced out, crossed the grass and went up a tall, slender tree. Oh, my, oh, my, what am I going to do? Thought the pastor. And he thought about it and he thought, I'll go to the garage and I'll get a rope. I'll tie it onto the tree. And he, so he did. And then he went and he tied the other end of the rope to the back bumper of his car. And his thinking was, I'll drive the car very slowly down the driveway and it'll bend that tree over. And then I'll be able to put the car in park, get out, rescue the kitten. Sounds like a good plan. And so there he is in his car, looking out the back window at the tree. And he's going inch by inch, a little more, a little more, just a little more. However, the pastor didn't realize it, but the knot that he tied the rope with to his bumper wasn't a very good knot, and it started to come loose. And all of a sudden, in one horrifying moment, that rope pew, let go off the bumper, and that tree turned into a catapult. Whoosh, and in a moment of horror, he watched this kitten fly through the air and disappear. And he thought, oh, no, oh, no. What am I going to do? He didn't know what to do. And so he just bowed his head and he prayed and he committed the kitten to the Lord. <laughs> the next day, the pastor was in the grocery store. And as he came around the corner with his cart, there's Mrs. McGillicuddy, one of the ladies in his church. And, uh, oh, they said, hi, how are you? And and Mrs. McGillicuddy said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. She said, does God answer the prayers of little girls? And the pastor said, well, yes, I believe God does answer the, the prayers of little girls. And just then the pastor noticed some cat food in the Mrs. McGillicuddy's basket. And he thought that was strange because he knows that Mrs. McGillicuddy was part of his church, a member of his church, and he knew that she didn't like cats. And so uh, he asked her, Mrs. McGillicuddy, why do you have cat food in your, uh, in, your, in your grocery cart there? And she said this, Pastor, you will never in a million years believe what happened yesterday. <laughs> she said, Pastor, for over a year, my little girl 
has been begging me for a cat, a kitten. And I'd always say, no, no. Well, yesterday morning, she really got on my case. Please, mommy, please. So I didn't know what to do. Pastor, I said to her, okay, if God gives you a cat, then you can have it. Oh, goody, she said. And she ran out into the backyard and pastor, through the kitchen window, I watched her get on her knees and bow her head. And she prayed for a cat. And pastor, you'll not believe what happened next. As God is my witness, a cat came flying out of the sky, landed on the grass right in front of her. How could I say no? Now that story is about the missionary cat. And you can get an idea how the cat was sent. <laughs> it was sent on a journey. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's our biblical mandate. We have been sent out. That missionary cat was sent. Maybe not the greatest way of sending a cat. All right, I'll, I'll give on that point. But the sending is what missions is all about. The sending. As soon as that kitty cat left the tree... <laughs> That was missions. That was a missionary cat. When Jesus sends us, that's what missions is all about. We can see that very clearly in the case of our dear sister Roman. The Lord sent her out through this church, halfway around the world, to Ethiopia. She landed there in someone's backyard. Just kidding. But she landed there and has done a marvelous work for God in these last two years. And we're so proud of her. And we're so thankful to God that God would use us to, to be part of that. Now, the Lord Jesus, here in Matthew 28, he was on the Mount of Olives. And those Christians that were standing there in front of them, they, they saw him, they heard him, go ye into all the world. After that, Jesus psst, ascended to heaven out of their sight. Those Christians turned and the very first step they took away from the Mount of Olives was missions. Just like the missionary cat was sent. These Christians went back into Jerusalem and started to share Jesus with others. That's the very first missions that we have here of the, the brand new or the, uh, uh, the, the church in embryonic form still. It didn't have quite its birthday until Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and 2. Boy, what an exciting time that was. Now, how does all this apply to Grace Baptist Church? Missions begins at home, the lower mainland. Here, the, the city of Surrey, this is our mission field. And that's missions. It begins at home, just like Jesus sent them back. In fact... Take your Bible, please turn to the right, to the book of Acts. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 1. So you'll go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts chapter 1. We're going to go back to Matthew there. So don't, don't lose your place. Acts chapter 1. Here's the words of the Lord Jesus in verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now, how about you read it out loud with me? 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Read it out loud with me now. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so there was Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives, and he said, go into, he said, all, all of, he said, into Jerusalem uh, and into uh, Judea, which was outside of Jerusalem, it was further, and into Samaria, which was further still, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so here the Lord Jesus was giving these directions to those Christians standing there that day on the Mount of Olives. In a very real sense, I'm a missionary. And in a very real sense, so are all of you. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're part of this as well. Now don't be scared by that, because this is something good. It's something exciting. It's something through which we can receive incredible blessings of God. It's good news. Have you ever thought of yourself as being a missionary? That kitty cat probably never thought of itself as being a missionary. But you work someplace, or you school someplace, or you live someplace. And in that place, there are other people. Probably other people who don't know the Lord as Savior. They need the Lord. That's your mission field. Maybe it's at work. You work in a, the seventh floor in a cubicle. There's a hundred other people on that floor. Those, those people need Jesus. You say, but pastor, I'm not allowed to stand up on my desk and preach the gospel. No, but there are other ways that you can let your light shine. Other ways, good ways, in the lunchroom. Make sure that people see you bow your head and close your eyes and give thanks for your food before you eat it. They'll see that. They'll remember that. Be praying for the people in your mission field. Make a little list. Maybe there's some school chums you go to school and the people you go to school with that aren't saved. Start praying for their salvation. If there's someone you know that has a particularly foul mouth and you just hate to be around them, start praying for their salvation. Pray that God would open the eyes of their understanding. Pray that God would give them faith to be saved. Maybe God will give you an opportunity that you could invite them to the Christmas service. A lot of people go to Christmas services that never go to church for 364 days, but they'll go on a Christmas service. And that's coming up, and we'll tell you more about that over the next month. It's a real exciting one, too. You can be a missionary wherever you work, wherever you school, wherever you live. And if you're born again, if you're saved, you need to think of yourselves as being sent out from the Lord Jesus. Now, a question here. Does the Great Commission really apply to us today? Even though we weren't there 2,000 years ago, Jesus told those people to take the gospel around the world. But here we're 2,000 years later. Does it really apply to us? And I believe it does. And I'd like you to see this if you turn to the right, past the book of Acts, Romans, you'll get to 1 Corinthians. And I want you to go to chapter 15. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, while you're turning there, I'd like to ask you a question. If you ever had the opportunity, supposing God came to you in the middle of the night 
and said, I want to give you a chance of a lifetime. I will transport you back to the days when Jesus was on earth so that you could see him. You could hear him. You could talk with him. You could walk with him. I wonder how many of us would take that opportunity. I mean, not to permanently live there, but just to be there for a little while. I wonder how many of us would take that opportunity. Personally, I can't imagine a Christian, a born-again Christian, who would turn that down. Oh, thanks, Lord, but no thanks. I, I can't imagine that. I would think, I would hope that every one of us would jump at the opportunity. Yes, Lord, I'd love to go back and be with Jesus and see what he looked like and listen to what he sounded like and, and just to see the disciples. And I'd love to be there for a short period of time. Boy, I sure would. I remember going over to visit the land of Israel about 10 or 12 years ago. And what a thrill that was. Well, how much more thrill to be able to go back when Jesus was on the earth. Well, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find something very interesting in verse number 6. Paul is, is uh, delineating here, or he's enumerating all the, the appearances that Jesus made. And he starts here in verse 5, actually, and, and he talks about how Jesus was seen of Cephas, another name for Peter, the apostle Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once. Well, that's strange. When did that happen? Well, to make a long story short, by comparing the four Gospels and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the only time this could possibly have happened was Matthew 28. And I want to show you that. I want to prove that to you. If you turn back to Matthew 28. This is the only time that it was possible. Now in Matthew 28, the Lord Jesus had already appeared to his 12 disciples numerous times. The first time he, he made his appearance, Thomas wasn't there. And afterward, when the other disciples told Thomas, he says, well, unless I see, you know, I won't believe. And then that following Sunday, and it was a Sunday, Jesus said to Thomas, he appeared and said, Thomas, come here, put your finger in, in the imprint in my hand. Here's my side. You know, remember Thomas, doubting Thomas, we'd call him. Be not faithless, but be believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Well, Jesus appeared numerous times to his 12 disciples. But look here, please, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It wasn't Thomas. Of all of the 11, because remember the 12th was Judas and he went and hung himself. But of the 11, the only one who doubted was Thomas. He didn't doubt anymore. He believed. And yet it says some doubted. That's where the 500 came. Every believer in that area heard that Jesus was going to be there. They came. I don't know how they did it, but they came. The 500 mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6 is right there in verse number 17. Some of them came, and some of them doubted. 
But here's my point. If you and I had been living back in that time period, and we heard Jesus is going to be on the Mount of Olives, would we have gone? I would have gone. Would you have gone? I would have quit my job if I had to. I would have gone. Nothing would keep me away. But if you knew that Jesus was going to look you in the eye and commission you with the gospel, would you still go? That's where some Christians would say, well, you go instead of me. What are they really saying? They're really saying, I don't want to let my light shine. I don't want to be a, a missionary. I don't want to be a soul winner. I don't want to go to work and you know, share the gospel. I don't want to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. You make up your own mind what you think of that. But here is where the 500 came. You know, by proxy, they stood in place of us. Because I do believe that just about all of us, maybe a few of us wouldn't go, but I think just about all of us would. And we would be standing there that day in amazement looking at Jesus. And we would have seen him look us in the eye. And we would have heard him say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He would have commissioned us. And so the answer is yes. Even though we weren't there 2,000 years ago, the commission still applies to you and to me. Well, you say, what if people don't want to listen to me? What if I go to school, go to work, and I invite someone to church, and they say, meth, not interested. What then? Well, you have no control over that, do you? Let me tell you something. Mother said to her little son, Johnny, Johnny, I want you to go next door and borrow a cup of sugar from the neighbor. So Johnny dutifully took an empty cup and went next door. Now what if the neighbor wasn't home? What then? Well, Johnny has no control over that. What if Johnny went to the door, knocked on the door, and the neighbor says, no, I'm not going to loan you a cup of sugar, and slam the door. What then? Well, Johnny has no control over that. But Johnny has control over whether he will obey his mother or not. Does that make sense? Jesus has given us the commission. If you're saved and on your way to heaven, you have been given this wonderful commission to let your light shine and pray for lost people and encourage lost people to, to look to Jesus and invite lost people to church. You have that great commission and for some Christians, God will do even more and say, come work for me full time. I want you to be a missionary. I want to send you someplace. That's how we get missionaries, folks. That's where they come from. They come from the rank and file of everyday normal Christians, loving the Lord, living for Him, and then one day, it's like the heavens open. That's where the missionaries come from. And they're God's chosen heroes. And as we honor God by supporting them, oh, does that make God happy. God is so thrilled. And then, in turn, God blesses us as individuals, and as a church. That's why these meetings are some of the most important meetings we'll ever be involved with all year long. I want to tell you a true story. I read this back in 1993 in Christianity Today. They published this story. It was about a Hindu woman over in India. Her name was Alila. And she was standing on the shore, the beach there of the Ganges River. The Ganges River is the most sacred 
body of water in India, and it's worshipped, the river itself is worshipped as a goddess. People refer to the Ganges as Mother Ganges. It holds high, high priority in, in many uh, of the Hindu people. And Alila stood there on the beach one day holding her tiny infant son close to her heart. Tears were welling up in her eyes as she slowly began walking into the river's waters. She stepped into the water, silently making her way out as far as she could until she was at her waist deep. The water was gently lapping at the baby's feet, and she stood there for a long time. Alila held her baby tightly as she stared out across the river. And all of a sudden, in one quick moment, she threw her six-month-old baby into the Ganges. An Asian missionary by the name of M. V. Varghese often would walk up and down the beach shore there of the Ganges, witnessing to people, telling them about Jesus. And it was he who came upon Alila that day, kneeling in the sand, crying, throbbing with guilt and tears and remorse, crying uncontrollably, beating her chest. And he saw her and with compassion he got down on his knees beside her and asked her what was wrong. And through her sobs and tears she said, the problem is in my home and there are too many, too many sins. My sins are heavy on my heart. And so I offered to the goddess Ganges my firstborn son. At that moment, Brother Varghese's heart broke and just ached for this desperate woman. And as she wept, he gently began to tell her about the love of Jesus, that through Jesus, her sins could be forgiven. And she looked at him strangely and she said, I've never heard this ever before. She said, why couldn't you have come 30 minutes earlier? If you did, my son would still be alive. You know, it's not just in India that people are aching under a load of sin. It's everywhere. It's right here in Surrey. The man or woman you work with, the young person you go to school with, the neighbor who lives beside you, maybe even a member of your own family, burdened under guilt and sin. And Jesus is asking if you will be his missionary. Will you help get the gospel to this person? Maybe you're not sure how to start. What do I say? What do I, what do, I do? Folks, I have good news for you. In just a couple of weeks' time, on Saturday, November 11th, at 9 a.m., we are going to start a four-week training course, one hour per week, on how to share the faith with someone else, how to open up a conversation, how to share with them the gospel, even how to answer some of their questions. Mark it down. Saturday, November 11th. We'll tell you more about it later. 
The first step for you and for me is to pray and to say, Lord, here am I. If you can use me to win my neighbor, my family, my friends, if you can use me, use me. I'll be a missionary at home. I'll be your man. I'll be your woman. I'll be your servant. That's the first thing to do. That's what we need to do today. If somehow you're here today and you're not born again, it's never happened to you. You've never actually received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Today could be your day. If by faith you will believe what God has said, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. We're sinners by birth and by choice. You commit one murder, you're now called a murderer. You steal one thing, you're now called a thief. You commit one sin in the eyes of God, you're now a sinner. Even though you've never murdered anyone, there's still lots of other ways to sin. And we've all done it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, will we get honest before God? Will we acknowledge that God said, what God says is right? The wages of sin is death. That means one day we're going to get a payday for our sins. We're going to be separated from God forever and ever and ever. That's what death is. It's separation in a place called hell. But whosoever will may come. Jesus paid all. Every last cent we owe in hell, Jesus paid. That's the wonderful thing. You know, as God, he can do that kind of thing, you know. And on the cross, he died for you and for me for our sins. He was dead, buried, and rose again the third day and knocks on your heart door today. Will you open your heart door and let him in? Will you, you ask him to forgive your sins? Come into your heart. Be your savior. Take you to heaven when you die. Guarantee you a place in heaven. Because that's what he is willing to do. It doesn't take long for an anxious sinner and an anxious savior to get together. And if that describes you, today can be your day. And in prayer, I'd like to invite you to receive Christ as your savior. Let's bow our heads now and close our eyes. It's time for us to pray. And the Lord Jesus is in this place. His presence is known. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.